The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Fighter versus the Writer. I'm your host, as always, Damon Martin, and I am officially COVID free, so I'm very excited about that. And I'm also very excited about our show today because we have a couple of great guests, very relevant guests with everything going on in the world of mixed martial arts. We're going to be talking to UFC lightweight contender Michael Chandler in just a few moments. He, uh, of course, is in the news right now for a potential fight against Dustin Poirier before the end of the year. They're talking about November, December, nothing done quite yet, but everything's moving in that direction. And we'll talk to Michael about the fight with Dustin Poirier, potential fight with Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor, uh, the upcoming fight between Charles Oliveira and Islam Makhachev, and a whole lot more, uh, including his knockout over Tony Ferguson, which I actually never had the chance to talk to him about. So we're going to talk to him. We're also going to talk to arguably the most dominant women's fighter on the planet right now, PFL, two-time PFL champion, Kayla Harrison. She makes her return to action in uh, just a matter of weeks uh, as she fights over in London, the site where she won her gold medal in the Olympics. So we're going to talk to Kayla about uh, returning to the site of one of her biggest athletic achievements, uh, her upcoming fight, as well as the perception that she is taking on lesser and lesser competition, uh, which is, um, well, you'll hear in the art, you'll hear in the interview. I don't want to spoil anything there, but you'll hear in the interview we talk about uh, maybe how that's a little bit, uh, a little bit overblown in terms of her level of competition when you compare it to some of the fighters other top women are facing. Just throwing that out there. Um, so yeah. Uh, with that being said, we're gonna kick things off, of course, with Michael Chandler uh, because uh, you know he's got a lot going on right now. Uh, he's of course rumored for this fight with Dustin Poirier, which is the fight that makes all the sense in the world. You know, Dustin doesn't have a fight. Michael doesn't have a fight. You know, Conor McGregor's not coming back. It looks like until twenty twenty three. 
while I love the Conor McGregor fight for Michael Chandler, and I think that was a perfect fight for Conor to come back to, uh, you know, stylistically a more favorable matchup than, say, a wrestler or a grappler, you know, predominant grappler. Uh, unfortunately, it looks like Conor's not going to be back this year, and now he's filming the new Roadhouse movie. Uh, got a lot of thoughts on that one. Uh, not like in a negative way, just because Roadhouse is one of my all-time favorite films. I love Roadhouse remaking it i'm not a huge huge fan of remakes but there are a few good ones out there go watch Zack snyder's dawn of the dead there's a couple of decent remakes out there so uh you know we'll hope for the best jake gyllenhaal's legit uh i think that's a lot better idea than ronda rousey so we'll see but connor's going to be doing some filming for that so it looks like he's not going to be uh back before the end of the year which kind of nixes the fight with chandler and everyone else is booked you know Oliveira's fighting islam benil dariush has got matush gamrot uh, not a lot of other options and who wouldn't want to watch Dustin Poirier and Michael Chandler throw down for three or five rounds. I mean, come on. So with that being said, let's talk to the man who may end up fighting Dustin Poirier before the end of 2022. Here is Michael Chandler. He is one of the top lightweight fighters in the world. And I am always happy to speak to this guy. We go back quite a long ways and I haven't had a chance to catch up with him since his huge knockout over Tony Ferguson. Welcome in today, Michael Chandler. Michael, how are you? What's up, Damien? I'm doing good, man. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Always a pleasure to catch up with you. Uh, as I said, you're always a very busy guy traveling. You went to London. You're always doing these things. So I'm backtracking a little bit here. So I know this is obviously months later, but man, have you still like, how many times at this point have you seen the highlight of you knocking out Tony Ferguson? Is it in the hundreds of thousands at this point? It, it has been a quite a bit, mainly because uh, social media. I mean, I'm basically tagged on. I'm tagged on that kick uh, pretty much every day, multiple times a day. So um, I, I can't say that it ever gets old. Obviously, you know, when you train as hard as we do as mixed martial artists, it's hard for it's hard for fans to understand. But when you train as much as hard as we do, and you sacrifice as much as we do uh, to be able to have highlight reel type of knockouts like that, also knowing that. It could be you at any point in time. You know, you can you can uh, make a highlight reel or be made a highlight reel. You can make a meme, uh, be made a meme. When you realize that we are fighting uh, within fractions of, of inches um, is just, uh, you know, it's cool to see. And uh, people love it. So we'll see if it's KO of the year, hopefully. Yeah. Now, you've had a lot of big finishes. Now, I'm not going to say the Tony Ferguson win was the biggest win because you obviously had championship wins, things like that, that I'm sure you would probably say, we're bigger in terms of your career, the achievement kind of thing. But in terms of your finishes, I think of Benson Henderson. I think of Patricky Pitbull. I think of the, the the submission over Eddie Alvarez. Does this top the list in your favorite finish? Not, not not necessarily biggest win, but would you say this is now your favorite finish? I would say so. I mean, I think, uh, you know, the, the body is an amazing thing. You know, sometimes it gets knocked out stiff. Sometimes it gets knocked out uh really loose and just kind of loosey-goosey rubbery, if you will. Um, sometimes guys fall flat on their face. Sometimes they fall flat on their back. Like, that's that's why we watch the sport, to see somebody, you know, get knocked out. Um, and this was definitely one of those that people said, you know, ooh, that was a, that was a rough one, you know. So um, I by no means, you know, it kind of sounds sick to say that it was, you know, satisfying because, you know, ultimately – uh, I respect every guy that I step in the cage with and, and want, their, want the best for them and their, their health. But obviously we all, we are playing a dangerous game called mixed martial arts. Um, and the way that that fight ended, the way that, the way that his body crumbled, the way that the foot landed on the right on the chin, um, it was probably, it was easily the most, uh, 
I think kind of the, the most exciting best knockout of my entire career. Like you said, not the biggest win that I've had, um, but the cleanest and most dominant and kind of most scary to be quite honest. Yeah. And also you're the first person to ever do that. to Tony Ferguson. I mean, yes, Justin Gaethje had a TKO win over him, but you know, Tony was still on his feet. You know, he was still like kind of, I won't say complaining, but he was, you know, he, he definitely still kind of raised his hands up when that fight got stopped. Now I think that was a perfectly fine stoppage, but you're the first person to ever do that to him. I mean, again, not that you're sitting here, you know, wearing a t-shirt that says I knocked out Tony Ferguson, but knowing who that guy has fought, knowing the wars that guy has gone through to be the first guy to ever actually knock him out. That is a feather in your cap, right? Like I'm not, again, I'm not saying you're, you're walking around the billboard saying I knocked him out, but it is a, it is a cool achievement. Yeah, no, of course. You know, when, when you talk about it, you bring it up. Yeah. Just there's, there's certain guys that you just, you know, you don't expect certain things, you know, you don't expect, uh, um, certain guys to get submitted because their BJJ is so good. You don't expect certain guys to get knocked out because their chin is so good. And yeah, um, Tony Ferguson never being knocked out cold. Dan Hooker never being knocked out to the head. He had been knocked out to the body. Um, so TKOing him um, for the first time in his career, that was another feather in my cap. You know, you, you're trying to just create not just wins, but dominant wins to, to continue to prove to the fans, to prove to yourself, to prove to the media, to prove, prove to your family um, why you train so hard and why you make the sacrifices and that you are one of the best in the world. And I think being the first to do that at Tony was, was definitely something that, um, you know, I can hang on my, my Mount Rushmore of, uh, of mixed martial arts career whenever I finally do hang it up down the line. Um, and yeah, we got the fit, we got the finish, we got the win and we're going to see what's next. Absolutely. So with that being said, Michael, coming out of that fight, I'll be honest, like I just assumed we would be talking right now about the matchup that you got booked against Conor McGregor. I just thought that was going to happen. It seemed like a foregone conclusion. Conor wanted it. You wanted it. The UFC was interested. It all seemed like the pieces were falling in place. But now we've heard sounds like Conor, maybe not till the end of the year, maybe early 2023, which again, I understand he had a broken leg. I don't think anybody should rush back from that. I know I talked to Chris Weidman early in his you know time coming back from the broken leg. He's like, oh, yeah, I think I'm going to be back. I think he said this summer. Well, you know, broken leg's a serious injury. You can't rush that. You got to take time. Now we've heard, of course, the rumors swirl, and I'm sure you've heard it. You know about it, the fight with Dustin Poirier. So can you give us any kind of update? Like, where are you at in terms of what's next? I know you just went back down to Florida, you know, to train with your team, of course, at, uh, at, at the, well, excuse me, formerly Sanford MMA, now Killcliffe MMA. Um, but, like, kind of give me a sense of where you're at right now. Uh, yeah, you know, for, first things first, as you talk about Connor, yeah, I mean, when you talk about Wyden, when you talk about Connor, when you talk about these these real leg breaks, not not the ones that just kind of, uh, you know, a small little hairline fracture and you got to wear a boot for a couple of weeks. You're talking about cracking the bone in half, breaking it in half, having to have a cert- having a rod surgically inserted into the bone. You're talking about real surgery stuff. And and obviously, yes, have I called out Connor? Do I want to fight Connor? Do I think me and Connor would be the biggest fight that we can make in mixed martial arts? Yes, I do. Um, but I also, you know, the guy, the guy has earned the right to be able to sit out as long as he needs to to heal because the sport of mixed martial arts and the UFC, quite frankly, is better when Connor McGregor is, is fighting and, and is in it and is active. So he needs to come back at the right time when he is healed. Um, that being said, yeah, I mean, at this point, it looks like everyone else is matched up except for myself and Dustin Poirier. Um, you know, obviously he's been a guy that's been on my radar. I've spoke to you before. When I first came into the UFC, we asked two guys to fight and both turned, turned down the fight. Number one was Tony Ferguson. I have since now fought him. Um, and the other one was, was, uh, Dustin Poirier. Now not implying that they 
you know, turned down the fight because they were scared of me. I was a brand new guy coming in from outside of the UFC, made a lot of sense for them to, you know, fight someone else inside the top five, a little bit of a less risky fight, if you will. Um, but now as I've solidified myself and cut my teeth in the, in the UFC and uh, legitimate top guy now, um, it's time for me to win another fight and then go win that title. I truly believe that Charles Oliveira beats um, Islam in October. And then I fight next for the title when I beat Dustin Poirier or whoever they put against, put it in against me. Um, but a lot can change in this sport as of right now. That's, you know, the rumors that are swirling. Um, that's what a lot of sounds like the fans want to see. So we'll see later on this, uh, later on this, this uh, winter time, um, it might be him and I So. Yeah, I'll circle back to Dustin in a second. I do want to follow up real quick on Connor because the Connor fight is the biggest. Let's just be honest. That's the biggest fight you could get. It would be a massive, massive fight. We both agree on that. And again, I think Connor wants it too. Connor has said he would like to fight you. So again, it makes all the sense in the world. But is there a, a bit of a time limit on the waiting game? Like I know you told me before, like waiting for Connor is worth it. But does there, there has to be an expiration date, right? Like, you know, now that we're hearing maybe 2023, that means you'd be out the rest of this year. And I'm sure you don't want to sit out the entire 2022 still with the uncertainty of when he's coming back. Maybe it's January, maybe it's February, maybe it's not till April or May. We don't know. Is that kind of the problem with the Connor fight right now is there's just no definitive timeline when he's going to fight again? Yeah, I mean, that, that is the, the, the only problem that we have right now. And, and truthfully, like you said, um, if there was a guaranteed, hey, this fight is definitely happening, I, got no, I would have no problem waiting a couple extra months to, into January, February, even March of next year. But um, this is the sport of mixed martial arts. A lot changes every single day. And you're also talking about the biggest combat sports icon on the planet. There's rumors out there of him fighting Floyd Mayweather. There's rumors of him never coming back. There's rumors of him be coming back, you know, by the end of the year. Uh, we don't know when Connor's coming back. So with that amount of uncertainty, it would be really, um, I think, foolish to hitch, hitch your wagon to that that fight itself. Do I want that fight? Of course. Do I think that fight is going to happen eventually? Absolutely. Um, but I'm still, my number one goal isn't, isn't to fight Connor. It's to win the title. My number one goal is to be the UFC champion, to be the number one guy on the entire planet. So um, I got to get through somebody else in the top five, get another win underneath my belt and then uh, go fight Charles or Islam, whoever wins that fight in uh, October um probably at the in the first quarter of next year i'll be your champion by march april may of next year i love it i love it all right so let's talk about the dustin poirier situation because michael i mean this as a compliment you know you speak your mind when it comes to fights you speak your mind when it comes to opponents you have no problem giving your predictions on how a fight's going to play out or how you think someone else's fights are going to play out but outside of that and again i mean this as a compliment you're like the least controversial guy in the sport you're not the guy who takes cheap shots. You're not the guy who says things about people's families. You got a family. You got two kids, which, by the way, I haven't spoken to you since you had your other son. Congratulations there. I forgot to mention that at the top of the interview. Thank um, you. Thank but uh, you. Thank you're, not, you're not that guy. You're just, you've never been that guy. We go back all the way to the beginning of your career. You've never been that guy. So when I saw the thing with Dustin Poirier at the, at the UFC event where he's shouting at you and cursing at you, and I, listen, be clear. I know Dustin very well. I like Dustin very much. Dustin's an incredibly nice guy does a lot of great things outside of the sport. And I'll be honest, Dustin's not really that guy either. He's not the guy to cause trouble or, or say bad things about people's face. He's got a family himself. And like, if it was Colby Covington who has attacked him personally on so many occasions, I probably would expect Dustin to say something to him or go up to him and like, you know, have words or maybe throw a few fists. 
But that altercation that happened was so weird and out of character. Did it catch you off guard as well? Because from my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, it was him shouting at you. It wasn't like you were trying to engage with Dustin. That's how it happened. But it was just so bizarre because it just seemed really out of character. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I, I agree with you on how Dustin is and how he carries himself and what he does and the champion that he is, the, the father, the husband that he is, the, the community servant that he is. I truly believe that, you know, you don't see a lot of controversy coming out of Dustin. Um, you know, that night I, uh, you know, I was walking down to my seats with my wife and we, everybody in the, you know, all the UFC guys have a kind of a security guard that's kind of overseeing them, of course. Uh, and all of a sudden they stopped me on my tracks as we were about to sit in our seat. Cause it was that front row and Dustin was down there and they said, Hey, hey actually stop right here. He's not going to go down there. And I, you know, basically was just like, wait, what's going on here? My, my seat's over there. And I was going to go sit down. They said, no, come around with me. So we went around the front, um, kind of between the cage and then the first row, um, and all of a sudden, I just heard some shouting and kind of turned around and realized it was Dustin kind of pointing at me, doing that number. And I could tell that he was talking to me, you know, uh, but I did, you know, did, did that way. you talking to me. You know, like, <laughs> you talking to me, you know, because it, it, like you said, it caught me completely off guard. I'm not there to get in physical. I'm not there to get in verbal or physical altercations or any kind of controversy, you know, ever. That's not my not my nature. Um, quite frankly, I shy away from it. Uh, I am a kind of a pacifist by nature in a lot of ways, except for when I go out there and get paid for it inside the octagon. Um, but, you know, basically just kind of fought my way over to get closer to him because the security guards didn't, they were trying to pull us away, but I was like, Hey man, I got to at least see what he's saying. I, Cause it was far away. Music's playing lights are flashing everywhere. You can hear the crowd noise. Uh, so I couldn't understand what he was saying and just went over and got close. And, you know, he said his piece and uh, he's got a, got a problem with me and, I also think he's just kind of very hungry for a fight right now. You know, I think he, I think he also got into it a little bit with Nate Diaz that night as well. So I think he's looking for a fight. You know, he needs a fight. He wants to get a fight. I think, you know, we're coming up on what, eight, nine, nine, ten 10 months that he's, since he's been in the, in the cage, you know? So I think he fought last December. So, uh, you know, he's hungry for a fight. He's ready to, ready to get back at it. And I was the, uh, you know, I was the target that night. Yeah, it's so, it's so weird because I think the 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 quote unquote worst thing, which isn't really bad, when you address Dustin after your win over Tony, you basically said you weren't as interested in that fight because he kind of brushed by you a little bit when you came in. He didn't seem interested in fighting you. Kind of, I don't say ignored you, but just you know, kind of you know, kind of brushed you off when he when you brought up fighting him. He kind of said, "Oh, I'm not interested in that fight." And in turn, you kind of returned the favor. I guess that's the best way to say it. you kind of returned the favor. Said, well, I'm not interested in fighting you either. Um, that yeah. to me is so not controversial. Like that, again, you know, the things Colby Covington has said, disgusting things about his family, which I don't think anyone should condone. That I understand being upset about. But it was just so weird because like that, again, that's like the least, like I remember when you fought the Pitbull brothers and they said every, like every manner of terrible thing about you and you always took the high road. You never, you never fired back at them personally. You never tried to go down to that level. The things they were saying about you, you responded, but you never went to the level they were saying about you. It's just such a weird, like that seems like the weirdest reason to get upset. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, uh, that's kind of one of those things where it's just, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, I think we're very similar to each other, to be honest with you. You know, he, he and I have had similar paths. We're both kind of, you know, small town kids getting after we were sometimes the most similar people kind of uh, butt heads, if you will. But I, I do think it does stem back to, you know, him saying, hey, instead of fight Chandler, I'd rather go sell hot sauce. And, you know, I, I took that as a slight, obviously. Um, but, 
you know, and then since then, I actually did accidentally, really, in one interview, I completely forgot to mention his name inside the title picture, but it was only, sorry, my son just handed me this. No worries. This, uh, <laughs> this uh, walkie-talkie we've got. Um, but that was because at, the, at that time, he was talking about retirement. He was talking about never making 155 again. He was talking about going up to 170. He was campaigning hard for the Diaz fight. So in my mind, he had already left. Uh, the lightweight division, you know? So I think that's what, you know, kind of set him off or made him not too happy with me, but Hey man, at, at some point, I'm not really that worried about it. Um, I respect him as a fighter. I respect everybody that I've ever fought. I respect everybody I train with to live this life is no, no easy task. Um, especially with the wife, especially with the daughter, um, for me, especially with two sons. So, um, I'm going to enjoy the road. We'll see, uh, we'll see if this fight gets booked and if it does, you know it's going to be fireworks because one thing you can't say is is that um, Dustin's ever been in a boring fight or that I've ever been in a boring fight. So there's going to be fireworks uh, whenever it happens. You said uh, in another when you were over in London, you were doing the scrum with media, and you said that you know somebody coming after you in that way is the not the way to get a fight with you. And and I think I know enough about you to say that you're not that guy. Like you just like like Connor, he was very respectful. You know I know Connor can say crazy things, but Connor very respectful, like the fight. Okay. Let's book it. Same kind of thing. But now that, you know, it seems like this is by process of elimination. Dustin appears to be the guy because there's just nobody else out there. But Neil Darius is booked. You mentioned Charles and Islam are booked. Obviously he's just knocked out Tony, uh, you know, Fiziev just fought, but he's out for a while with a, with a broken nose, all the things. So there's really no one else around for you to fight by process of elimination. Does it seem like Poirier is probably going to be the guy? That's what it seems like, yeah, by process of elimination. And, yes, as you alluded to earlier, yeah, I mean, that's definitely not the way to get a fight with me. I mean, and truthfully, I think there could be a uh, misperception or a misconception of what the media or the fans – I mean, not really the media because you guys understand the sport more, but the casual fan, like, ooh, he said something about his mom, so he's going to want to fight him. And, it's, you know, it's one of those things where that's not really what motivates us to fight each other. You know, every now and then you get some real grudge matches – but more often than not, those grudge matches actually make sense to move you forward or title contention. You're never going to see a top five guy, you know, look back at the top 25, the number 25 guy, because the 25 guys said something about his mom or his wife. He's never going to do it because it just doesn't make sense in the pecking order or the ladder of mixed martial arts. Um, this one, obviously, Poirier makes, makes sense. Um, but yes, it, I'm not going to fight him because of that verbal altercation. I'm not going to fight him because I dislike him. I'm not going to fight him to prove something. I'm going to fight him. Um, if I do fight him, I'm going to say yes and sign the contract because I want to win the title. And he's a guy who's ranked ahead of me, uh, deservedly so. And, uh, I go out there and beat him and then, uh, get the title. Yeah. When you came in the UFC, when you signed with the UFC, we did an interview and I remember you named a few guys at that point. You said, before I'm done, these are guys I need to fight. Khabib was obviously at the top of the list. You know, of course, we know he's now since retired. Gaethje was on that list. Of course, you had the epic war fight of the year with him. A couple other guys. I know Connor, I think, was on the list. But you also did mention Dustin. That's a fight you've always thought about having. You always thought it'd be a fun fight. If it does happen, how do you see that one playing out? Because because it is it is a, a really fun fight. It is a fight that we, much like the Gaethje fight, we don't really need to talk about it. We know it's going to be entertaining. We know it's going to be a battle probably going to be a knockout, going to be a war, however you want to say it. But how do you see that playing out now that you know a little bit more about Dustin, seeing him fight recently, and now I know you've got your feet wet in the UFC, all those kind of things. How do you see a fight with Dustin playing out? 
I think uh, I've always liked that fight. I've always loved the Dustin Poirier fight. Um, you know, it, and it's not because he's not a great fighter. It's not because he's not extremely skilled. Um, I've just always watched him from afar and always thought, you know, he's he's good. Um, but I do think I beat him. I think I've got his number. I think I'm I think I'm the guy um, inside of that fire that will uh, that will continue to put it on him. Um, and he won't be able to finish me. He won't be able to put me away. My cardio, I'll match him cardio for cardio, strike for strike, um, wrestling for wrestling, grappling for grappling. And then it comes down to a battle of wills. And I think I win that. I think I win that battle. I truly do. I mean, also. I wake up every morning thinking about being a UFC champion. Um, I've had one crack at it. Dustin's now had a couple cracks at it. Um, and he's talked about going up, going up to 170. I think it's hard, hard for him to make the weight. Um, I think he's talked about retiring. He's talked about passion. He's talked about desire. Does he have it anymore? He's talked about fighting Nate Diaz. We all know what fighting Nate Diaz means or, or going after a fight against Nate, Nate Diaz. Um, it's uh, it begs the question, you know, does he, does he truly believe that he is one of the best in the world anymore? Um, I think he's one of the best in the world, but he's also got, had a couple counter fights. He's uh, got a little bit of money in the bank. Um, he's getting older. He is hard. It's hard for him to make the weight. Talk about going up to 170. These are all telltale signs that, you know, I think this is the right time for me to fight him and the wrong time for him to fight me. And that's no disrespect to him. I'm just, uh, I want to compete against him. I want to compete against anybody inside the top five who's going to get me toward a title shot. And uh, he's a he's a good boxer, southpaw, um, counter striker. Um, I think I can I think I can and match him punch for punch. I think my my boxing and kickboxing. Um, I've I've always done very well against southpaws. I've never lost to a southpaw. Matter of fact, I've I've knocked out every southpaw uh, that I have fought. And um, I like fighting southpaws, man. Power shots all day long. I love it. I love it. Now, in terms of timeline, here we are in August. You know, of course, we know some of these cards are already getting booked through October, November. We've already heard some fights getting announced. Do you have, like, an ideally, like, if they're saying, hey, Michael, we want you to fight Poirier or whoever it is, uh, do you have an ideal date? Like, obviously, we got the MSG card coming up in November. That would be big. December's always big. It's the year-end card. You know how big that card is. So, of course, that's a big one. Haven't heard a ton about October. I know we know October is going to be Abu Dhabi. That one's already pretty much filled in terms of pay-per-view. This doesn't feel like a uh, fight night card. Don't get me wrong. This this could easily be a main event, but I feel like this is a pay-per-view fight. I think we both know this is a pay-per-view fight. This is not, you know, something you throw on a fight night card, even if it's a main event. So we got November MSG. We got December, which is the year in card we assume is going to be in Vegas. Do you have a preference? Um, I think both of those are options. You know, um, I, if if I had a preference, I'll tell you, I want December in Vegas because, you know, Damon, I've been signed with the UFC now for dang near two years and I haven't fought in Vegas yet. <laughs> you know, I want to, I want to fight in Vegas. You know, I want to, I want to feel that fight week in Vegas. Um, I want to, I want to see how the, you know, the UFC, because op- I've seen it from afar. I've been on fight weeks, but I've never actually fought there in Vegas with, under the UFC um, or anywhere or any organization for that matter. But I just, uh, I want to experience that, you know, I got to experience MSG a couple months, or I guess, you know, almost a year ago now. And um, I fought there twice now. It's not that I don't want to fight there. I love fighting there. New York's a huge market. And it's, it's somewhat of a, it's somewhat of a, uh, it's somewhat of a feather in your cap to, for the UFC to want to put you on the Madison Square Garden card. Cause you know, that's, that means you're one of the, one of the big guys that, or gals that they want to put on the big, big card. So 
Um, either of those is great. Timeline worked out great for both of those. Um, definitely not coming back earlier than November. Um, I want to spend some time with my family, healed up, um, doing some other things as well, and uh, just enjoying, enjoying life right now. But I am ready to get in there by the end of the year and uh, get in the training camp here very soon. Absolutely. You mentioned it earlier, Michael. I want to I want to circle back to what you said about the upcoming fight in October between Islam Makachev and Charles Oliveira. You know, since fighting Charles Oliveira, you have been one of the guys who've kind of been banging the drum, you know, praising Charles Oliveira for what he's done. We did our conversation last year. You said he's my fighter of the year, without a doubt. Like, Charles Oliveira's earned it. He's incredible. All the respect in the world for him. And you've praised him since then. And you picked him to beat Islam Makachev. Now, Maybe you've seen the odds. I'm not a big odds guy in terms of like what the odds makers say. I know it's all about making money, so they make certain things inflated, whatever, to try to make money. But Islam's a pretty heavy favorite. Now, I think Islam Makachev's incredible. I think he's a monster. I think he's very, very good. But the idea that Charles Oliveira can't hang with a guy like that, to me, is utterly ridiculous. And I like that you've already you know, called your shot. You think Charles is going to win the fight. So let me ask. You believe he's going to win. How does he beat Islam Makachev? Because there's this like perception that he can't, which I think is stupid. No, it's it's a, it's a very silly perception. And, and truth be told, I was that guy. I mean, you, you remember the build up to my fight with with Charles. I I truly believed that he was going to quit. You know, we we'd seen it in the past. We had seen that he wasn't that tough. We had seen that he he had a tendency to to find a way out in fights. He has proven time and time again, both against me and then Gaethje or uh, uh, Poirier and Gaethje. He was in the fire in those fights and came back and won every single one of them. You know, he has shown his toughness. He has shown his gall. He has shown his continued uh, increase um, improvement in his striking, which obviously he's one of the best. He's probably the best grappler in the UFC right now today, for sure. And he's become a very, very effective basic long rangey kickboxer and uh he's done very very well with it he manages the distance very well if he does get hurt he can just pull guard which actually you saw that in the Gaethje fight and the Poirier fight he gets hit he just falls to his back it's actually a great it's actually a very very great technique because nobody's going to jump into his guard well I did <laughs> I jumped into <laughs> his guard but nobody else nobody else jumped into his guard because I I wasn't scared of, of the grappling exchange I wasn't scared of him having my back um, I wasn't scared of him having double hooks in or a figure four. Maybe that's, uh, you know, maybe that's just, uh, lunacy and ego talking, but I wanted to at least see what it felt like. And, you know, I got out of it. I was the only guy that got out of it, out of me, Poirier and Gaethje. Um, but I just think nothing against Islam. Like you said, you know, you say he's great. You say he looks, you know, you say you look unbeatable at times, but Gum, he hasn't really fought anybody. You know, that's that's really the truth. He beat number 14, and then he beat Dan Hooker, who was on a three- or four-fight lo- losing streak. And now people will say, well, one of your wins was against Dan Hooker, so, you know, what are you talking about? I fought Dan Hooker at, at a different time. He had just went 25 minutes with Dustin Poirier, who at that time was the number two lightweight on, on the entire planet, you know? Um, so I just think Islam Islam's strengths are also Charles' strengths, and – Charles striking is better. And I do think, I don't know. I just think, I think Charles is more skilled. You know, I think uh, if, if Islam can go out there and he is, and he actually is that strong, he actually is that dominant with position, then, uh, you know, Charles is going to have a long night, but I think Charles is just too slick, too good. And uh, he's going to give him fits on the feet and it's going to be hard to take Charles or it won't be hard to take Charles down, but I think Charles wins the grappling exchanges. 
Yeah, it's a weird one, and you're absolutely right. Listen, I have nothing but the utmost respect for Islam Makachev. I do think he's a beast, but we can't argue against the fact that he hasn't faced the the top guys yet. He just hasn't. I mean, he hasn't fought you. He hasn't fought Poirier. He hasn't fought Tony. He hasn't fought established top five guys, Gaethje, you know what I mean? And that's, again, that's a... Maybe he is as good as we all think he is. Maybe he is as good as everyone's saying, but he just hasn't had that chance to prove it yet. Now, this is his chance. If he beats Charles Oliveira, we'll all praise him. But, again, yeah. he hasn't had that yet. If he, if he had gone out there and beat Justin Gaethje and did it dominantly, maybe we'd have a different story. We just don't know. There is that question about Islam. Yeah, no, I, and I agree with you. Like I say, I'm not... I'm not I'm not saying that he's not that good. I, I'm just saying that we can't say that he is that good yet. It's premature praise, you know, um, and it's premature praise in the betting odds, like you said. I mean, to to make uh, to make Islam the the favorite in that fight is is somewhat crazy, I think. Um, and maybe that's just me, you know, sticking up for Charles because I do, you know, watching Charles and see, seeing what he's done, resurrecting his career, somewhat of a somewhat of a couldn't be relied on up and down, win some, lose some kind of journeyman. Um, to now, you know, a very dominant champion on a win streak. So um, he's definitely uh, one of the, you know, one of the best fighters pound for pound in the world. And uh, I think he goes out there and gets the job done. Yeah. Now, I, I don't like to ask a lot of what if questions, Michael, because there's just so many things that can change in this sport. We know that what our conversation today could completely change three days from now, depending on what fights are announced or cards or injuries, things like that that happen. But obviously, you're looking at, let's say, December for your next fight. And again, I'm just throwing Pori out there as the most obvious choice because, again, he's the guy who's out there who's available. So just hypothetically, if that happens. Now, when Charles beat Gaethje and started calling for Conor McGregor, I was one of the only people who said, good, do it. If you want McGregor and you want the payday, go for it. Like, I'm never going to fault you for going out and getting paid for your family because this is a business at the end of the day. You are providing. You have You have a wife and kids to provide for. He has kids to provide for. I have, I'm never going to fault anyone for going for the payday. We know Connor is a massive payday. Now, of course, we know that fight's not going to happen. He's going to fight Islam. But if everything goes well and you win in December and you beat Dustin Poirier, what would mean more to you? Would it be the Connor fight, which would be a life-changing, you know, massive payday, pay-per-view headliner, all those kind of things? Or is the title always going to trump that for you in terms of if you have that option, Title versus Connor, what's going to mean more to Michael Chandler? I think the title, you know, um, and that's, you know, obviously that's not taking a slight of Connor, but Connor's, Connor is the biggest fight uh, ever. Connor is a legacy type of fight. It's a Hall of Fame kind of fight. It's, it's the fight that everyone remembers. You know, it's the fight, win, lose, or draw, knockout, or submission, or, or decision. It's a fight that everyone's going to remember. But, you know, holding, holding UFC gold and, attaining my goal, reaching my goal of becoming the number one lightweight on the planet. You know, I've been a champion in Bellator, but that didn't mean I was the number one guy. Uh, was I a top 10 guy, a top 15 guy, a top five guy? I've been there, you know, basically my entire career ever since I beat Eddie Alvarez in 2011. I've kind of been in that, that cusp, if you will, or on that cusp. And becoming the number one guy in the world, that's, that's the goal. That's the ultimate goal. And I want that not just for myself, but I want it for my wife, my two sons, um, I want it for my, my family, my mom and dad, who's made the sacrifices over all those years for me to get here. And, uh, I want it for, for the fans and the people who have supported me since day one, uh, that, you know, so I can host it up and say, we did it, you know, and, uh, then, then the counter fight after that, you know, that's the, that would be the, the big one. That would be the big, big one. So it'd be good. 
Yeah, it's funny because, I mean, again, assuming everything goes well and you fight and you win in December, title or Connor, I mean, either way, it's not a bad consolation prize, right? Like, if you don't get the title shot for whatever reason, you get Connor. Well, that's still a massive fight. And if you don't get Connor, you get the title shot. You get to be champion. So, again, it's not a bad place to be. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and you know, hey, if, if uh, Charles wants to get cute and, uh, you know, or Charles or Islam want to get cute and start calling out Connor and looking for the Connor fight, okay, go ahead and take it. You know, go take take, take it and chase the Connor fight. We'll do an interim title. Um, whether it's the next contender and, uh, you know, the next contender at 155 and myself, you know, I, uh, I think at that point I will have solidified myself as the number one contender when I beat Poirier, if it is Poirier. And then, uh, you know, we'll see if, uh, if those guys continue to defend the belt or if they chase the Connor fight. Yeah. Well, like I said, it's not a bad place to be with those kind of options in front of you. Poirier, Connor title. It's good. It's good to be in the Michael Chandler business right now is what I'm saying. It's good, man. It's it's been a huge blessing. And obviously, like you said, you know, you, you and me go way back. We've, we've, uh, we've done this dozens and dozens and dozens of times over the last 12 years. And it's been a lot of fun. And, uh, Man, I loved I loved my time at Bellator. I loved the people. I loved the I loved the fights and the competition. Um, but it's just so much bigger now. Um, so much. I feel like I'm so close to attaining and uh, reaching the goal that I set out for myself. And um, you know, the platform is huge, and I love all, everybody that's on this journey with me. And uh, I truly am living the dream. So I'm going to keep on doing it till the wheels fall off. As as you say, my friend, see you at the top, right? You at the top, baby. That's right. Uh, Michael, it is always a pleasure. I know you're a very, very busy guy. I always appreciate you giving me the time. Uh, obviously, look forward to seeing you back in action later this year. Hopefully, next time we talk is when the fight is booked. You got a date and an official opponent. Uh, enjoy Florida. Uh, please say hello to the family for me. Again, congratulations on another son. Welcome to the Chandler clan. And, uh, and thank you, as always, for the time. You know I appreciate it. You got it. Thank you, Damon. I appreciate you, man. Hey, we'll, you we'll talk soon. Okay, see ya. Bye-bye. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down, and new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. 
you can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's always great chopping it up with Michael Chandler. Always a fun interview and always like getting his thoughts on his own career, the entire lightweight division, and everything else going on. I liked his perspective on Islam and Charles Oliveira. It is true. Uh, it is a very valid point he makes about Islam. That's a great fight. That might be, for what we have left to come in 2022, that might be my most anticipated fight remaining for the year uh, because that is a tremendous, tremendous matchup between Islam and Charles Oliveira. So many questions will be answered in that fight. Uh, you know, Is Islam as good as we all believe he is? Uh, is Charles Oliveira, you know, approaching potential of being one of the greatest lightweights of all time? I mean, you could argue he's already knocking on that door as it speaks without even beating Islam Makachev. But if he goes out there and beats Islam, stops that hype, uh, beats, you know, Khabib's chosen successor, says a lot. And uh, that's a really intriguing fight. I really, really look forward to that one. There's a lot of fights still to come in 2022 that I'm excited about, including the one that just got announced over the weekend, of course, is, uh, excuse me, uh, Israel Adesanya taking on Alex Pahea. That's a fantastic fight, of course. That's going to headline the uh, Madison Square Garden card in November, and that's a tremendous matchup and a lot of bad blood there. Uh, you know, Rematch years in the making. Of course, Pahea has two wins over Israel in kickboxing. How will it go in boxing? How will it go in MMA? Very much looking forward to that as well. But uh, I think Islam versus Charles is the best fight we have announced so far on the books, signed, sealed, and delivered. And that's coming in October, and I cannot wait for that one. All right, with that being said, another fighter who uh, who gets a lot of buzz every time she competes, and that is none other than Kayla Harrison. Of course, she's going to be making a return to action in PFL in just a matter of days uh, over in London, the site of where she won her, uh, for her gold medal in the Olympics in judo. Uh, so I'm going to talk to her about that, returning to that site, that athletic achievement, and what that meant to her. And, of course, going back to the uh, to the scene for the first time, in a long time uh, as she goes over to get one step closer to another million dollar prize in the PFL. Uh, we're going to talk about the money she's making as well, uh, which is a, a subject matter that, you know, we talk about a lot fighter pay and we like to talk about the fighters who aren't getting treated as well as they should. And I think that's a large, large number of fighters. The majority of fighters are getting underpaid in the sport. Uh, but I love to see somebody like Kayla getting paid her worth and she's getting paid very well, very handsomely. So we'll talk about that with Kayla as well. So right now, here is my interview with PFL champion, Kayla Harrison. She is the two time PFL champion. She begins her quest, or I should say continues her quest for a third PFL championship in August, returning to the site where she became a gold medalist for the first time, which is pretty exciting. Always, always happy to speak to Kayla Harrison. Kayla, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me as always. Absolutely. So I was, uh, I was, you know, prepping for the interview and I just kind of realized, cause of course we talked, you know, back in your Olympic days, 
I was like, oh, this is cool. You're returning to where you won your first gold medal. Are you are you kind of excited? Like, I know traveling is kind of a pain in the butt for most people, but is it kind of cool to go back over to uh, to London? No, for sure. That part's going to be fun. Obviously, I love London. I have a rich history there personally, and I, I just love the city in general. Um, so that part will be fun. I mean, traveling is always, you know, I spent 20 years living out of a suitcase, so... I was kind of happy when I didn't have to do that anymore, but it's going to be, I mean, it'll be fun. It's going to be fantastic. Beyond winning the gold medal, which of course is the highlight. What is your, what is your best memory of London of that trip to the Olympics? Because it was such a crazy time. I mean, you're the first person to ever win a gold medal in judo for the United States. So the pressure and the expectation that you're dealing with an injury, I mean, all kinds of crazies. What is your biggest memory from that trip beyond the gold medal? Of course. Mm. I mean, there's two, there's two. So first my best friend, Marty Malloy won a bronze medal at that games and watching her make her childhood dreams come true, getting to, to hug her after she won a medal. She fought, she competed before me. So getting to see that and be inspired by that, um, Oh, it was amazing. You know, to share that with her was such an amazing experience. And we did everything together at the games. We, the, the second thing that really was so amazing to me was walking in the opening ceremonies. Um, and where we ended up, I was right next to the torch as it was lit and as it was going up and I felt the heat of the Olympic flame on my face. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm here. Like, this is, we were here, like, this is it. This is exactly where you're meant to be and you're doing exactly what you're meant to be doing. And it was really, really cool. It's funny because in this sport, in MMA in particular, and you know this, you know, it's always about what have you done for me lately? You know, you're always judged by your last performance, <laughs> your last fight. But I, it's kind of crazy when I was thinking about this, because again, we talked, I think the first time we ever spoke was after your second Olympic gold medal. But every time I talk about you, every time I write about you, every time I mention you, two-time gold, Olympic gold medalist, two-time Olympic gold medalist. But I kind of, it kind of gets lost in the timeline because of, you know, things move on. We do different things that you were the first American to ever capture gold in judo. And I don't think, I know at the time it got talked a lot about a lot, but now that we are so prevalent in mixed martial arts and martial arts is yeah. so big, like that is such an achievement. Like when you think about it, all the people that came before you, all the people who have come since yeah. to be the first, like that is a huge thing. And I know you don't sit around all day patting yourself on the back and polishing your gold medal, but it is pretty freaking awesome. Yeah, I know. I mean, to be honest with you, it's still probably the highlight of my athletic career. You, you know, it's just, there's nothing that can really compare to that. Um, and even though judo is not popular in the United States and it's not as widely broadcast as MMA and it, whatever, it's not mainstream or anything like that. For me, I think just the entire journey of it, like how, how I started, I started when I was a kid growing up, watching the Olympics, wanting to be an Olympian, wanting to be an Olympic champion, going through what I went through, overcoming that, the people I was with, you know, the Pedros, my best friend, Marty, Travis, like all of these people who are part of my journey. Um, my whole family was there. My dad, who has since passed, like just everything about it um, was really special. And, and obviously to be a part of history, to be the first American to ever make it that far um 
to kind of carry on my coach's legacy. You know, my judo coach, Jimmy Pager was a two-time Olympic bronze medalist. He was the most decorated um, judoka at the time. And I really considered myself a Pedro, you know, and I still do through and through big Jim, his father is still in my corner and all my fights. Um, so to carry on that legacy, just all of it, it was really special for me and will probably, will probably always be the highlight of my career. Yeah, no, absolutely. It should be. Uh, Kayla, of course, we spoke uh, before your last fight. You went out and got, and, and as I like to say, you did the damn thing. You went out there and had a dominant performance. Uh, I know I say this every time we do an interview, but I know you're your own worst critic. Two minutes and 30 seconds, you pretty much, you know, the dominant performance start to finish. But here I go. I always love to ask you, grades your performance for me. How do you feel about that one? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that there's always room for improvement. You know, my biggest, my biggest thing for me is like that cage time is invaluable. You know, that, that time spent inside of a cage is priceless. You can't emulate it no matter how hard you spar, no matter what you do, you can't really emulate that. So I, I sometimes wish that I would be a little more patient and open up, like, just, just be a little more patient. You know, I landed a good body kick um we did like one exchange on the feed and then i blast doubled you know so obviously it works you know and if the if it ain't broke don't fix it so i know that my skill set is there i know that everything's gonna work i know that i'm prepared for everything even if even if it didn't work i know that i'll be able to be just fine but sometimes i wish that i would just relax a little <laughs> you know it's funny because you always evolve as a mixed martial artist you're you know you're either evolving or dying i guess is the best way to say it. you're always growing and i know there's going to come a day where you're going to go mm -hmm. in there and land a big overhand left overhand right you're going to knock somebody mm -hmm. face first into the dirt okay we know it's coming but the fact that you you do always you know you know your you know your strengths and you know what you're better than than pretty much everybody you're ever going to fight. I remember having this conversation with Ryan Bader years ago when he had a couple big yeah. knockouts in a row and suddenly he became this boxer. He started going out there and striking with guys and then you know he faced Glover Teixeira and Glover you know kind of face planted him. You had you know Anthony Rumble Johnson you know, a couple fights in a row where he had a couple knockouts. He's like I, I I forgot to go back to what got me here my wrestling. I needed to go back to my wrestling and. I just got so enamored with the knockout that I forgot about that. There's going to come a day where you're going to get a knockout, Kayla. We know it's going to happen. You're too talented for it not to happen. But I feel like you're so grounded and you know what you're better than. Like, yeah, Kaylin Young's yeah. a great striker. You know, going out yeah. there and striking with her is much more dangerous than taking her down and just mauling her on the ground. It seems yeah. like you do understand. Like, it seems like you have that perspective. Like, you know you'll get a knockout one day, but you're not forcing it. Right, for sure. I think a lot of credit is due to my coaches as well. You know, like they do their homework. They, they are, um, they do a good job of keeping me grounded. I think I had the benefit of coming from, coming from such a, uh, like an Olympic style background. I made a lot of mistakes already, you know, like I've fallen in love and I thought I was the shit and I've like, you know, been there, done that. Um, so I have the luxury of that experience. And I think my coaches also, they keep me grounded. You know, I mean, my, I make fun of my coach Anderson all the time. Cause he like, he studies film on every single opponent, like hours, he breaks it down. He has recordings, he has a game plan. And I've had 14 fights now and every single fight he comes. Okay. Kayla striking here. Your striking is 
here, maybe here, <laughs> grappling here, you're grappling here. I think take down. And I'm like, Anderson, I know. <laughs> you don't have to tell me. I know what the game plan is. But he's like very, he's like, no, you know, just patience, take your time. You best grappler. And I'm like, I know, I know, I know. But it they they do a good job of keeping me humble. And um, you know, one of these days I am gonna land something, but I'm not going to fall in love with it. I'll tell you that. I love winning too much to love anything else. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when you, when you came into mixed martial arts on day one, we said, you know, Kayla Harrison, maybe the greatest prospect to ever come into sport. One of the greatest prospects, however you want to word it. Uh, and then you've grown and you continue to grow, continue to evolve, continue to get better. And then like five, six fights in, we're like, wow, we think Kayla Harrison could be really special. Seven, eight fights in, we're like, wow, she's becoming one of the best fighters in the world. Nine, 10, 11, we're like, okay, you know, now she's becoming like, you know, one of the best pound for pound. You're 14 fights in your career. I'm giving you a little inside baseball knowledge here, Kayla. Uh, in our last okay. MMA fighting rankings, we all vote. I, I love and hate the rankings. I love the rankings because it's a fun discussion, but I also hate them because yeah. I hate the um, the politics that go on with rankings when yeah. fighters say, oh, I won't fight this guy or girl because they're ranked behind me. I hate that part. In my right, newest right. rankings, I have number one and number two pound for pound in the world. I have you, I have Valentina Shevchenko, and I have Kayla Harrison. Um, in my in my opinion, I think you are there now. And I look, I, I really did some examination on this, and I said, "Listen, I have the utmost respect for you know what Amanda Nunes has done in her career, uh, Rose Namajunas, uh, of course, you know Amanda Nunes, or excuse me, uh, Juliana Pena, all these other yeah. fighters." But when I look at consistency yep. and dominance, I look at you. Now, to credit, you know, Valentina did have a tough fight out the last time, but I think she's incredible, and I think everyone's entitled to one not great night at the office. Um, of course, you're not always going to be – some nights you come in flat. You know, that's just part of the game. But so I, agree. I, I, I agree. I spoke to Randy Couture a couple of weeks ago, and I said, where do you put it? And he said, I think it's Valentina and Kayla. Now, I know maybe he's a little biased because he works for PFL, but I said, where do you – and Kayla, I know your goal – and I'm my long diatribe here to get to this point. Your goal <laughs> is to become the best fighter in the world, the best of all time. That's always been your yes. goal. Yes. But when you look at the fighters right now in the world, where yes. do you put yourself? Do you believe you are number one, number two? If you were looking at it right no. now, where do you no. put yourself? No, I mean, I don't, I don't consider myself number one or number two. I think that's a huge compliment to me. Um, and I, I am very humbled by that. I think that I'm getting there. Um, but I tend to agree with, you know, I tend to agree with the uh, MMA trolls of the world. I think that I do have to prove myself a little bit more and I still have, I still have something left to, to prove and I'm just going to keep going out there and doing my job and whoever's in front of me, I'm going to take them out and, and I'm just going to keep climbing the mountain and um, you know, I'll get there, but I'm not number one or number two yet for sure. I don't, I mean, I personally don't think, I, I think I have the ability to be, I think that I'm ready today to be the best fighter in the world, but I'm not there yet. Well, let me ask you this question, kind of putting you back into making you be cocky again here, Kayla. Uh, when you look <laughs> at, and I'm not going to mention names and they're going to say like, Oh, how do you think you do that? Let's take Valentina out of the conversation. Cause she's a flyweight. That's not realistically yeah. a fight. Yeah. But when you look at the fighters who could realistically ever fight you at 145, 155, does anyone beat Kayla Harrison right now? Let me ask that question. I don't think so. Personally, you know, I work too hard. Um, I have the best staff, coaching staff, team, support system. I think that um, 
I'm constantly getting better. I love what I do. I'm very passionate about it. My life is, you know, what is that famous saying? A happy fighter is a dangerous fighter. I, I, I don't think that anything can happen. That's why you have fights. Of course, anything can happen. But I make sure that I train hard enough so that on my worst day, I'm still the best in the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know people love, uh, this is always the argument with you, Kayla. People always love to say, well, level of competition, level of right. competition. Let me read. I, I brought receipts, Kayla. I just, so you know, I brought receipts. I want to read you. Th- <laughs> I want to read you three records. Okay. Three records. Okay. 15 okay. and nine, mm-hmm. eight and five, 12, mm-hmm. nine and one. Now, do you know what those numbers are? I'm assuming you don't, but I'm just, if you don't know, that's the win loss record of Chris Cyborg's last three wins. Now, that's not a knock on Chris, and that's not a knock on her level of competition. I think some of those fighters are very good. But when people say level of competition, we get so lost in that. Are we just saying you're not in the UFC? Is that really what we're saying? Right, like right, that, It's not right, level right, of competition. Right. It's that you're not in the UFC. Right. No, I mean, I struggle with this a lot, you know, internally. I feel like uh, people, people, I get a lot of negative feedback, and I guess you could call it hate and trolls you know, that I'm a can crusher, like, that's like a very repetitive thing in my life. Oh, you're a can crusher, you're a can crusher, you're a can crusher. Um, and sometimes the people that tweet, like, they're, it's really actually funny. They find these memes, <laughs> these gifts of like, people like stomping on cans and I'm, it's kind of funny. But you're right. I mean, even if you go to the UFC, right, and you look at some of the girls' records in the UFC, it's not, we're not talking like these absolute monsters, you know, we're not talking like people. I don't know. I, I honestly, to be quite frank with you, like Larissa Pacheco, I've beaten her twice. I think she would beat Cyborg right now. I think she might give Amanda a hard time right now. And that's not a knock on them, but it's like, you can't judge the level of competition. Like we're all in different, we're all in different promotions. Like if you really... Like, let's fuck around and find out. Like, let's put us all together. Let's find out. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm not afraid to find out. Like, that's, I get, I get, I do get frustrated by that. I do get frustrated by the, the knocks on competition because it's not really a knock on me. It's a knock on them. Like, show some respect. These women work hard. They, you know, they go in there and they put it on the line, you know, and none of these people who have anything to say do that. None of these people who talk shit online do that. So for me, that's frustrating. But I'm just gonna keep. I'm just gonna keep doing my thing. I'm just gonna keep chipping away. You know. Yeah. Well, I say that, and I say that because uh, you know when I look at again, and this is I, I'm not trying to knock like what they're like. I think Amanda Nunes is incredible. I have no doubt of what she's done. But you know, when you look at what she's done, if, like she has the huge knock over Chris Cyborg. And I listen. I have a ton of respect for Megan Anderson and Felicia Spencer mm-hmm, and some of the other mm-hmm, fighter. But mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. not like their records were so astronomical. You're like, oh my god. Megan Anderson right. was the greatest no, fighter like in the world. Like, <laughs> right. No, I agree. It's not like you have this, like, see, this is why a fight between me and one of them would be so great, right? Because you have, you would have this, like, seasoned veteran, like, like, bona fide goat, right? They're goats. They're goats of the game. They are, um, they've been legends of the sport. They're pioneers. They've changed the game. And they've been top dogs for a long time now. And then you have like a young, I mean, I'm not really that young, but you know, <laughs> up and coming, hungry, like 
I would say that I'm a dominant fighter. I would say that I'm dominant. You know, I've had three, what, three decisions my entire four, three decisions, I don't know. My win rate, my finish rate is pretty high and I'm undefeated and I'm dominant. So that is what makes exciting fights. Like, is she really that good or are they really that good? Who's really that good? So, you know, we'll, hopefully we'll find out someday. I think people make a lot of I think people make a lot of noise without doing their own research because I saw this is I, I I say this because I respect you know I respect journalists I was doing a little bit of research before we spoke and I saw there was a New York Times article about you from your last win that said Kayla Harrison walks through her beats or some version of that you know, terminology substitute fighter and that bugged me because I'm like Kayla Young's not just a substitute fighter no, Kayla Young no, is a pioneer no, no. like she's a legend Absolutely. of you know she's Absolutely. and that that to me right there that to me is like what I think we we just like again that right there a substitute fighter it's not just a substitute right. fighter it's Caitlin Young right. she's a, been around right. forever she's a icon of, of a know, pioneer that's the other sport thing too, is like she literally like you can say whatever you want about her record but it's because she never said no to a fight you know, like she would fight. She's the same. Like she's a fighter. She's a fighter. She goes in there and she she fought me on two weeks' notice. Like she's a she's a she's down. She's a fucking fighter, and I have so much respect for her and everything she's done for the sport. And like, I, yeah, no, I agree. That that stuff pisses me off. And I also think like, oh, man, I just I don't, don't. You're gonna get me on my soapbox here. <laughs> you done messing. I I. Well, it it pisses me off too, Kayla. That's what I'm saying. That's why I bring it up because it irritates me. It irritates the life out of me. Me too, damn it. It irritates me too. (laughs) And you look at you look at the four people in the playoffs this year. Obviously, Martina Jandrova is your next opponent. You look at what Larissa Pacheco's that I don't want to again, I don't want to make it seem like I'm looking past anybody because I'm certainly not. But I think a fight between you and Larissa in the finals is a big deal. Larissa's look like a killer lately. I know there's maybe, I won't say bad blood, but I know that she likes to raise the animosity a little bit because she wants that third fight. I get it. She's lost to you twice. But that to me, like I'm not not insulting any of the other big fights out there, but I think you and Larissa has got to be what? Top two or three women's fights you could put on the sport right now? I mean, am I wrong? I mean... It doesn't excite me just because I've been there, done that twice. I mean, I've shared the cage with her for eight rounds. Um, she didn't really have an answer. And I get and I get it. She's made improvements. So have I. Um, and she has to talk shit because, like, what is she going to do? Talk like, what is she? What can she say? She lost to me twice. Like, whoa. What else is there to, you know? I, I don't know. I, th- I just think... Um, yeah, good for her. You know, I'm ex- I'm excited for the season. I'm excited to continue to to progress and, um, you know, like I said, it doesn't matter who it is. I hope she makes weight. I hope she does everything. You know, she does her duty. Um, shows up. I hope all the you know I hope all the girls do. I think we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, one of the things we we love to talk about when we talk about your career is like you know the accomplishments, but recently and we don't get access to it as much anymore which kind of bums me out because i do believe we need more transparency in this sport not less but we did get the salaries from the pfl and the atlanta cards and mm-hmm. uh, we saw that anthony Pettit. now this is disclosed money this isn't total money this is what we what's on the contract they handed the commissioner uh yeah. and anthony pettis was making seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, which is awesome and you made five hundred thousand dollars now i'm not gonna ask you 
to confirm, although you can confirm, feel free. But I have learned through sources that Kayla Harrison is actually making around a million dollars a fight in the PFL. Now, I put out a tweet about it the other day, and I said, before you ever criticize Kayla Harrison about anything else, realize she's already one of the highest paid fighters in the sport. And if she is making what I have, what I 100% believe I'm correct in what you're making, you are already mm-hmm. one of the high, like you are making more than 98% of the UFC fighters. And that's outside of maybe Connor and maybe Adesanya. I mean, I'm, I'm throwing out a couple, maybe, you know, like in terms of those games, yeah. maybe like that. Uh, we saw yeah. I mean, Fra- a big part of Francis Ngannou's biggest argument right now is he got paid whatever it was, like $500,000 to fight in the UFC. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know your goal is to be the best ever. I know that. And know that's the end goal. But if yeah. you're making what I report you're making, and I believe I'm correct, uh, how how can it. anyone how can anyone fault you for what you're doing in there? Because like, and credit to the PFL, good for them. They're paying you that kind of money. You absolutely deserve it. But Thank again, you. there's there's what two three fighters maybe in the world yeah. making that much or more. Well, I mean, I think that fighter pay is an issue. I think that fighters deserve to get paid more, and I. Uh, I do believe that it's in my contract. I'm really not supposed to discuss what I get paid. So use your sources because I'm not going to discuss it for now because I'm under contract. But um, I think that people should, I think that fighters should talk. I think that fighters should disclose what they get paid. I think that fighters should, you know, this is a business, but I am also a business and every single fighter is their own business. And in order for a business to be successful, you have to know your worth. So, um, and you have to have a real, a genuine product. And I believe in me. I believe in my product. I believe in, in my abilities. And that is why I get paid what I get paid. And that's why the PFL also puts value on my services because yeah. I show up and, and no matter what's going on in my life, no matter what, if the day ends in why, then Kayla Harrison is coming to fuck people up, you know? <laughs> and, and that's, that's that's why i get paid the big bucks yeah we get lost in all these other conversations we talked earlier about you know level of competition all these kind of things but at the end of the day, this mm-hmm. is a business you are there to provide for your children and i know mm-hmm. listen i i agree i would love to see you fight amanda one day i would love to see you fight chris cyborg but i joked this is months ago when you were going through contracting and i said if Kayla Harrison go back, goes back to the PFO where they're paying her with their paying her, and I can see right now, like, I can see in a room, like, I'm joking, but, like, Dana White comes in and says, listen, we really want you to come here. We'll make the Amanda Nunes fight. Here's 100K and 100K. And I'm like, because <laughs> I just, I see those kind of things happen all the time. Like, I get, I understand yeah. the hoopla that goes around signing the UFC, but you are probably yeah. one of the, I'll just say top five high, am I wrong in thinking top five highest paid fighters in the sport? No, that says a that, lot. That says a lot. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that Obviously my Olympic background helps a lot. You know, I think too, last year, I did a really good job of um, making a statement, you know, four fights, all finishes. I talked a little bit of shit on the mic. I let people see some of my my personality. Um, I, I treated myself as the business last year and it paid off. And I also think that, I mean, I believe that I can do it all. I believe that I can be the greatest of all time and I can stay true to myself and I can get paid a shitload of money. I think I can, I have the, I have faith in myself. 
um, and my purpose that I'm going to be able to get it done and do it my way. Yeah, absolutely. Not lose my, not lose my soul (laughs) in the process, you know? So this business will chew you up and spit you out. You got to be ready to fight back sometimes, not just inside the cage, you know? So, yeah, well, that says a lot because I mean, when you think about it, 14 fights in your career, uh, you know, all the things you've done to already be one of the five highest paid fighters in the sport. You're really, like, and I, I know, again, I'm, I'm sitting here like, you know, praising you, but do you realize how big that is? Like, you realize how many, like, when you think about what no. a lot of, like, uh, like, I mean, I think, yes. like when the check hits the bank account, I'm always like, <laughs> I just am like, I scratch my head and I'm like, I think about 16 year old me, you know, I had, I moved to Boston with two hundred dollars and an Olympic dream, and I was a car wreck. And I just—I didn't even have a car. I didn't have—I mean, I think about my life. I think about what a, a lot of people sacrificed for me in order to make my dreams come true, in order for me to be where I am. I think about—I um, think about those hard nights where I was like sneaking in my teammates' cupboards to have their food because I had no money. And, um, I think about all those trips overseas where I was broke. And I mean, I just, you know, it's been a very long journey to get to where I am and people don't see that. They don't see the dark days. They don't see the, you know, they don't see the struggle. They only see you shine under the lights. You know, they only see the brightest moments of your life and the highlights. And, I think even on social media, we always try and just show the bright, the, the great moments and the happy and the this and the that. And that's not real. You know, I have struggled. I struggled financially for a long time. Um, and now, like, I don't. <laughs> and um, it's a great blessing to me. It, it, it's to have financial security is basically I bought my freedom, you know. I, I, I worked my ass off for my own freedom. Now I can do what I want. Now I can say, you know, basically fuck you. If <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not in like, a, like, if you don't know my worth, then that's okay. I walk away, you know, like I, I bought my freedom. I, I worked my ass off for it. I have financial abundance and um, like, I know that that is, God blessing me in so many ways. And I also know that it, as part of that, I get to, I get to give back, you know, I mean, so many people, Damon helped me so many people I could list, I could list, oh God, I, the list could go forever. And, um, one thing I wanted to do is pay it forward. So, you know, if there's a struggling fighter at the gym, if my foundation, if there's, you know, I I mean, I know maybe it's silly, but I always give money to homeless people. I like my job is to pay it forward. Now, obviously my, I have to take care of my family, you know, charity starts at home. You gotta, you gotta take care of yours, but I I plan on using this, all this money to do good, you know? And, um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Life is good. You know, life is good. We have a terrible tendency in this sport to tear people down. It's an awful thing, mm-hmm. and and it's mm-hmm. a, it's a, it's really it is tragic that that's what we're built into. And I get it. That's what gets the clicks. That's what gets the headlines. That's what gets people interested. Yep. But I like building people up, and I think what you're doing is amazing. And like I said, when I saw when I learned 
what you were making from my sources, I said, that's awesome. Like we should be for like, that's yeah. what I said, don't criticize Kayla Harrison because she's making more than 98% of the fighters in the sport right now. You should be 100% happy yeah. about that. Now, last thing, Kayla, now I know you're not like we talked before and you told me like your dream one day is to buy a piece of property out in the middle of nowhere and just kind of like separate yourself from the world outside of like training and things like that. Now you have two kids. I'm sure that they are, they are 100% the priority, but with everything you've done, all of the, and listen, you've, you know, you've, you've done well financially. Has there been one frivolous purchase? Have you gone out and bought one thing for yourself and said, you know what? I didn't need this. I don't need this, but I'm buying it. See, the fact that you have to think about it tells me you probably I haven't. Mean, okay, oh, no, no, this is okay, 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 okay. I got one, I got one, I got one. I buy really expensive hair conditioner. Someone bought me um, this, like, ridiculously, like, luxury. It's called Gold Lust. I don't even know what the brand is, but someone bought it for me for my birthday one year because um, I, I train so much. I have dry hair. It's like a struggle, whatever, Florida. Anyways. Someone bought it for me as a gift and I became obsessed with it. But then I went to go buy more and I saw how much it cost. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like <laughs> I buy like the target, you know, herbal essence, like 399 hair conditioner. That's probably why my hair was a mess. So I sucked it up and I bought, I now I buy that. I buy that conditioner. That's my luxury. See, that, sa that says a lot right there because a lot of people are like, ah, oh, you know, I bought another house. I bought a car. I bought like a luxury car. No, I bought hair conditioner. Nope. I, buy, I drive a Ford. Um, I haven't bought a new house yet. I'm looking. We're looking, but it's not. We haven't found it yet. But you yeah, know, I have hair conditioner. It's and it's expensive. I'm always like, this is, this is a, this is a it's crime. A, it's it's those Ohio roots coming out in you, Kayla. Because I'm I I'm very like when I see it, I'm like I'm like, come on now. I can't justify spending that much money on something. You know, I'm like one of those couponers. Like I, I like go to the store. All that means, all they that means. They have no is idea that I'm a millionaire, and they're like, "This girl takes 17 hours to check out because she's got a coupon for everything." But once you've been broke, you always have that mentality. That's 100 percent true. All that means is when you finally do retire one day, you're going to live comfortably, Kayla. That's all it means. Oh, you are going sure. to. <laughs> no, I'm not even allowed to touch big gym. Like I'm not even allowed to touch my money. I wanted to buy. I found a house that I really liked, five acres. I was like, "Oh wow, like this is it." And he was like, "Are you stupid?" <laughs> You're not gonna buy it right now. You need to make the money, and then you can buy it. And I was like, oh. So, yeah. <laughs> but at least you had the people around saying that, right? Some people were like, "Go spend it. No, Go I, spend everything." I don't, have, I don't have. I don't have any yes men in my life. That's for sure. They keep. Yeah. They keep it real with me. I love it. Uh, Kayla, it is always a pleasure. I know I said this to you when I spoke before the fight, and I'll say it again now, and I really do mean it. I know you don't do a ton of media, uh, and I appreciate that. You always give me the time, though, and I do appreciate that. And uh, uh, safe travels to London, and best of luck thank in the fight. You. And thank you, as always, for the time. No, it's always my pleasure. We have great conversations. I really appreciate you and the platform you give me. So thank you. All right, Kayla, we'll talk soon, okay? All right, sounds good. All right, bye. Bye. A big thank you to Kayla Harrison for always taking time for me. As I say uh, during our interviews, she doesn't have to do a lot of interviews. She's enough of a star now to where she can kind of pick and choose the people she talks to. She always talks to me, and I always appreciate that. So uh, always good to have her on and have a chat with Kayla Harrison with all she's got going on in her life and her career. 
And I cannot wait to see her back in action uh, in a matter of days at the PFL in London. Uh, with that being said, we're going to get out of here. I want to say a big thank you to everyone that tunes in each and every week to the fighter versus the writer. A big thank you also, of course, to Michael Chandler for doing the show with me this week. Uh, you probably heard it in that interview. I was feeling it in that one. That was when I was writing a thick of COVID uh, when I did that interview with Michael Chandler. So if you're wondering why my voice sounds so bad in that interview, that's why. Uh, but thankfully, I'm better now coming on the other side of that. Uh, it is no joke, let me tell you, but uh, but feeling better. So uh, hopefully be 100% recovered by the next week's show when we do that one. Uh, again, want to say a big thank you to both Michael Chandler and to Kayla Harrison for coming on the show. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Fighter vs. The Rider. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you then. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.